Okay, let's begin. Let's get rock and rolling. Recording in progress. My friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, August 6th. Torah portion is Re'eh, and we are going to cover reading 6 and 7. As mentioned, I have this pulled up on my side. I'm going to share my screen for all y'all. Let's get rolling. Karen, I'm sure you, you miss all y'all. All y'all references. In Maine, they probably don't say y'all. All right. <laughs> they don't. They, they, don't. they definitely don't. Okay, Torah reading for A, reading 6, chapter 15, Deuteronomy. Here we go, verse number 1. Yesterday, oh, yesterday we spoke at length about the seven-year cycle of the years. This is an objective Standardized seven-year cycle, year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We spoke about the farmer's obligation to the Levite. Those years, year one, two, three, four, five, and six. We spoke about how the farmer brings some produce for him, him or herself to Jerusalem to enjoy near the temple as well, years one, two, four, and five, and how the second tithe is given to the poor person in years three and six, to the impoverished years three and six. All right, either way, the bottom line is, we spoke about the six years of farming. Well, what about the seventh year? Here we go. At the end of seven years, and by the way, that doesn't mean at the end of all seven years. That means in the seventh year, because you start out with the beginning of the seventh year. So at the end of seven years, you will make a release. You know what releases in Hebrew? Shemitah. Shemitah is typically translated as the sabbatical year. Sabbatical, but it doesn't say Shabbat. It says Shemitah, which literally means release. So if you ever see the, the phrase sabbatical year, and you know that that comes from a biblical commandment, which we'll discuss right now, you should know that the biblical year talks about it in the context of release, which means that it's about letting go, which I guess is similar to resting, letting go from working the land. So here, the Torah describes what that means. And this is the manner of the release. To release the hand of every creditor from what he lent his friend. So the first thing that's mentioned is not even agricultural. The first thing that's mentioned is this idea that you let, you let go of any outstanding debts, any outstanding loans. If you're the lender, then come the seventh year, the loan is, is released. He shall not exact from his friend or his brother. Don't, don't take the money because time of the release for the Lord has arrived. Now, you may wonder, what's going on here? What's going on here? So you're, 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 you, get, you lend money to somebody and then the sabbatical year comes and then you can't get your money back. It doesn't sound like a good deal. So a few things. Number one, listen, we believe that everything comes from Hashem. So if Hashem says, don't collect the money, then you're, you'll be sure to get the money somewhere else, some other way. In other words, just because I didn't collect on this loan. Uh, so you, we have to believe that Hashem is going to take care of things. Also, there is a way to, to, to structure the loan where, uh, without getting into the details, the halakhic details, there is a way to structure loans where they don't get dissolved in the seventh year. Again, is that skirting the, 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 the law? Is that, is that not in spirit with the spirit of the law? I, that's debatable, but there are ways, there are mechanisms to, um, to keep the loans going on, which is for another topic for another time. 
Um, from the foreigner, you may ex exact. What that means, foreigner here is nachri, that means the, 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 the non-Jew, in other words, the one who is not bound by Jewish law, that person, if you lend money to, to, to a person who's not, under, who's not committed to Jewish law, then this law does not apply, and then yes, of course, you can exact the loan. But what is yours with your brother, that, that's a reference to a member of the tribe, your hand shall release. And again, oh, it sounds like it's unfair, two sets of laws. It's not, not really, because Jewish law is not binding on someone who's not Jewish. It doesn't mean that someone who's not Jewish can't choose to, to, to embrace it or convert or whatever, of course. But the point here is that it's not binding on someone who's not Jewish. So just like we wouldn't say that Shabbos or Passover or mezuzah or tefillin or whatever, or kosher, is binding on someone not Jewish, so the same thing is true with this law of, of, not, of, of dissolving loans in the seventh year. It just doesn't apply to someone who is not a member of the tribe. Let's continue. And I love how Moses continues by, by saying, you know what, let this not be an issue. However, there will be no needy among you. For the Lord will surely bless you in, in, the, in the land the Lord your God has given you for inheritance to possess. And this is kind of, we could understand this two ways. Number one, saying, don't worry, you won't even have a need to lend money because no one will be in need and no one will be, need to be forgiven for the loan because everyone will have what they need. Another way to understand it is that it's referring to the lender. As I said before, if you lend money and then you realize seventh year, don't collect. So you think, oh no, oh no, I just took this loss. I lost a thousand, lent a thousand dollars, I can't get it back. I lost a thousand dollars. Torah says, don't worry. There won't be any needy among you. You'll have what you need. Hashem will take care of you. Hashem will bless you. And again, that idea that Hashem will surely bless you in the land, that is a direct result of us acting in a compassionate way to those, to, to our brothers and sisters, to our fellow uh, community members. So that's what's going on over here. With this mitzvah. Um, however, if you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God to be careful to do all this commandment, which I'm commanding you today, for the Lord, in other words, that means that there won't be any needy and everything will be good if you hearken to the voice. In other words, if we keep our end of the deal, Hashem will make sure to take care of us. For the Lord your God has blessed you as He spoke to you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And this is a blessing. The blessing is, may you have so much that you can give others, but you will never be in need yourself. Right? You will lend, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. This is, again, a blessing. A blessing of self, being self-sustained, and others will need you, but you won't need them. The idea of, of, a, of a security. Now, if, if, that was the blessing, but what happens if the blessing doesn't pan out? If there will be among you a needy person from one of your brothers in one of your cities, in your land the Lord your God is giving you. So what happens if somebody does fall on hard times and is in need? Again, we have to understand that, that what Moses is speaking to the people here, some of it is you know, a warning, like be careful, this, that, or the other. Some is history. Remember what happened back in the day. Some of it is law. Don't forget to do this, that law, this law or the other law. Some of it is blessing. You know, I hope and I wish and I bless you that you should be successful. I ble my blessing for you. Imagine like a parent and a child. You know, my blessing is that you should be successful and you should be happy and you should never encounter any difficulty. It's a blessing. But what happens if that's not the case? 
So here we go. Seven. If there will be among you a needy person from one of your brothers in one of your cities, and land your God is giving you, land your, the Lord your God is giving you. So what, what sh you shall not harden your heart, and you shall not close your hand from your needy brother. I spoke yesterday about the difference between miser and tzedakah, between tithing and tzedakah and charity. And I explained that tithing is, miser is proactive. 10% of my income, I'm giving to a good cause. But tzedakah is, and we, pe people call that tzedakah, but it's different. Tzedakah is somebody needs something and they came to me, I give them what they need, ideally. Right? That's tzedakah. Two different things. One is proactive and one is reactive. Right? One is I'm giving 10% and the other one is I'm responding to a need. So here, yesterday we spoke about Meiser, and I spoke about Meiser from the, the monetary tithe. And today, the Torah speaks about tzedakah, the classic case of tzedakah. If there's a needy person among you, and they come to you, and they tell you what they need, so don't harden your heart, and don't close your hand from your needy brother. And the commentaries say that this order is very specific, because the way it works is, that how would a person ever close their hand it's because they closed their heart, because they closed their heart, because they weren't empathetic to the need. But the moment we have a sensitive heart, the hand will automatically follow. So the key to giving is empathy. The key to giving with the hand is feeling a closeness and feeling the need of the other in one's heart and soul. Rather, this is what we shouldn't do. We should not harden our heart and close our hand. Rather, Moses says, you shall open your hand to him, and you shall lend him sufficient for his needs which he is lacking. And this word lend is, of course, does it mean lend or give? Ideally give. If you can only lend, then lend. But ideally give. I mean, lending is better than nothing. Are you with me on this? Somebody needs to pay the rent. Yeah, they don't have money. They need money. They're desperate. They're going to end up on the streets, so then, okay, if, if, if the only way you can do it is, is make it a loan, make it a loan. And then maybe work on forgiving the loan, but, but get them the money or help them out, ideally. Okay, then we continue. If you lent the money, if, if, it turned, if it wasn't a gift, but it was a loan, now you're thinking, oh, but we just learned a few verses ago that in the seventh year, loans don't need to be repaid. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get myself into trouble. I'm going to give the guy a loan. He's in need. And I'm going to give a loan. And now next year is the seventh year. And if he doesn't pay it, then I'm out the money. You see, Moses thinks of everything. Beware, lest there be in your heart an unfaithful thought, saying the seventh year, the year of release, has approached, right? Oh, no. What's, and he calls this an unfaithful thought. Now, the, the, the person might say, unfaithful? What do you mean? I'm, I'm being very, um, I'm being very, um, not cautious. I'm being not pragmatic. I'm being responsible. It's not an unfaithful thought. It's a responsible thought. Responsible thought is, if I give this person money in year number six, year number seven comes, I'm not going to get the money back. I'm going to be out of $1,000. And I, don't, I can't afford that. Unfaithful? Yes, unfaithful. Why? We'll see to that in a second. Because unfaith sorry, let me just do it right now. Unfaithful means that you don't have faith that Hashem will hook you up with $1,000. That's what unfaithful means. Unfaithful means literally that a person is lacking faith that Hashem will make up the difference. 
Hold on. Whoa, you're telling me that I should forgive the loan of $1,000. I don't have the 1000 I need the 1000 And what, because Hashem's going to get it to me? That's what faith is. That's literally what the faith is. And not believing in that is what Moses is calling an unfaithful thought. I'm not calling it that. I'm just explaining what Moses is saying. He's saying unfaithful, literally unfaithful, because the person is panicking that they're not going to have the money, not believing that Hashem will hook them up. So what's, what's the cheshbon? What's the internal calculus in this person? Saying the seventh year, the year of releases has approached, and you will begrudge your needy brother and not give to him, and not give it. Right? So what's going to happen? Seventh year is coming. I'm not going to get the money back. There's no way I'm going to give this person, and then you're not going to give him. And then he will cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin to you. So what's the moral of the story? Don't do this. Rather, verse 10, you shall surely give to him. And the Hebrew, it says, Nason titain, lo. Give, you shall give him. Give, give. It's a double expression in the Hebrew, double expression of giving. In the English, they, they alleviated that or they dealt with that by using the word surely. Right? My name is not Shirley. You shall surely, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, surely, you shall surely give him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. In other words, give him and don't do it like panicking or angrily. Your heart shall not be grieved inside when you give to him. For because of this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your endeavors. In other words, if you do this anyway, if you give the person money as a gift or as a loan and you're not going to get back the loan and you know you're not going to get the loan back because the sabbatical year is approaching, the Shemitah year is approaching, the year of release is approaching, you know this, you give it anyway with love and happiness and compassion and concern. If you do that, that Hashem is going to give you the bracha. Hashem will bless you in all your work and all your endeavors. By the way, the word nasan, I know here there's different verse, uh, versions of it, nason, titain, but the word Nasan or Natan, which is the uh, name of my oldest son, Nasan, right? The, the, the commentators point out that it's a palindrome. Is that the word? The word that you could spell one way and the other, it's the same, forward and backwards? Is that a palindrome? I got it right? Nasan, the aforementioned Natan, is giving me the thumbs up that I got that right. As a man with a palindrome name, he would know like no one else. What does it mean, palindrome? You can read it this way or that way, but it also means that it kind of goes one way and then it reverses the other way. So, nasan, nasan. It works both ways. Nun, saf, nun can be read forward and backwards, which means when we give, it comes back to us. Does that make sense? When we give, Hashem gets it back to us. So we say, our limited mind says, I'm not, I'm not I'm disparaging, I'm saying our limited perspective on the world on reality, on the fabric of, of existence says, if I give the money and they don't give it back to me, I'm going to be out money. And God's like, hold my beer. I'm like, seriously, like the only way for you to get money back is by this person giving you back the money. Hashem has so many emissaries. <laughs> well, it's never happened that an unexpected thing happened. You got a bonus, you got a gift, you got a this, you got a that. And hasn't it happened that we got the money, but then suddenly... The HVAC goes out, the refrigerator breaks, the, the car never happened? Of course it happens. So who's in charge? If any of us believe that we're in charge, might as well give up. Next. Like that's, that's, I mean, first of all, how could you even be, not you, how could one even be honest 
with themselves and say, I'm in charge. It's, it, it, it baffles the mind. But if we're not in charge, in other words, if it's true, let's just take it to the, to the conclusion all the way. If it's true that God runs the world, if it's true that we're not in control, if it's true that what Hashem decides is what's going to happen, if it's true that, what we, that when we do what Hashem wants, it brings a blessing, then we should give with an open heart. So they don't give it back to me. Okay, who cares? Right? That doesn't mean don't collect the loan in year one, two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah, it's the deal. Collect the deal. If they can't pay it back, then consider forgiving it. But there's no obligation necessarily, but consider. But the seventh year, it's done. What about the money? What about Hashem? <laughs> that's the answer. What about the money? And what about God? So that's why he calls it an unfaithful thought. The unfaithful thought is when a person believes in God like the person, like the Ganef in the, in the tunnel. Yeah, the Talmud says. That the, the Talmud says that a Ganef, a thief, in the tunnel is praying to God for success. That's the way it is. Right? The thief tunneling under the building about to come up is praying that there aren't security guards with, you know, AK-47s pointed at them. Right? A Ganef is praying to God. How does that make any sense? The thief says, God, help me. And God's like, help you do what? Exactly. Steal? Uh, if you believe in me and you think that I can help or you believe on any level, so then why are you stealing? So obviously the dots aren't all connected, which means that there's a certain mat- um, element of faith, but there's a contradiction uh, uh, like a, 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 just a massive contradiction that's just looming and that it's like the, the, the dots aren't all connected. And, and, and Moses is telling us, don't, don't be that person. I'm not talking about not stealing, obviously. But don't be the person that believes in God, but then says, if this person doesn't give me back my $1,000, then I don't have that money. Because that's, that's, not, that's not giving God enough credit. That's not giving God enough credit. And that's not really believing in God. If we really believe in God, and we really believe that God will bless us if, we do, when, if and when we do the right thing, that we don't have to go scrambling for that $1,000. Hashem will get it back to us, or we'll uh, make sure that this year we don't have that $1,000 unexpected expense that we always have every year. That's the way it is. The Rebbe said so many times that, yeah, a person could work in ways that are, that are not so kosher and make a lot of money. But God runs the world. And so how do we know that that money is not going to pay for all sorts of things that, sh- that, that a person would ideally not want to pay for? Again, it, it comes down to, the, to, to the, that core word. Is it faith or not faith? I mean, do we believe or we don't believe? If we don't believe, then uh, that's it. So then we're done, right? We're done here. If we believe, then we believe. Let's, let's take it all the way through. Living on faith it's like the it's like the um, the acrobat uh, walker, the the tightrope walker, who's like Niagara Falls above the Niagara Falls, and there's a whole crowd that's cheering, and he says, "Do you think I can walk, or should I walk um, on the tightrope?" Um, should I walk on the tightrope across? One side? yes. Everyone says, "Yes." Do you think I can do it? Yes. Um, do you think I can uh, juggle you know, while doing it? Yes, he does it. 
Oh, and he does it each time. Do you think I can ride a unicycle? Well, yes, uh, yeah, and he does it. Do you think I could push a wheelbarrow while walking across this? Yes. And then he says, okay, so who wants to volunteer? <laughs> Everyone's quiet. Yeah, because faith could be theoretical. I believe, but I don't trust. I'm not willing to put my life on the line for that belief. I believe that you could do it, Mr. Tightrope Walker, but I don't believe enough to put my life on the line in your wheelbarrow. Karen. So, I mean, does it even really matter, though, if the person that makes the money in illicit ways um, has other expenses we don't know about? In other words, does it really matter whether, I mean, maybe that person doesn't, and that's why this person has, you know, six houses, one in, you know, six different countries, and, you know, a yacht, and this, and that. So, so does it really matter? Because in the what really matters in that faith, it's not so much the faith that there's some kind of material equity that's taking place. It's incredibly spiritual. It's that spiritual inner peace. It's the, it's the shalom. It really is. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I Knowing that you did it the right way. Yeah. 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 It's the shalom. It's the, I agree with you. It's done the the right way that you know that you put your head down on the pillow every night you know that i mean you know it's 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 knowing that um um doing right and doing good that god you know that's that's it's and that's its own reward almost i I agree with you and the letters that i've seen where the rabbit uses that type of you know formulates it that way my understanding is he's appealing to the part of the person that is less altruistic. Both points are always mentioned. So, but one side is appealing to the soul or the godly soul, and the other point is appealing to the animal soul. Mr. Animal Soul, even if you think that maybe it's going to be beneficial, do you really know for sure that, it's going to, that you're going to enjoy every, every last penny of this? So that, that's a way to appeal to both sides of the human. But you're right. Like, and, and the purest argument is, it's not about the money. But I threw it in. You know, whatever. If, in, in case it's helpful. I could see how that's also, might also be not helpful because a person says, what, so you're telling me that doom and gloom is going to... No, no one's saying any doom and gloom is going to happen. No one's promising, foretelling any doom and gloom. The point is that we're not in control and there's no guarantees. And so... That should take the edge off of, I'm, I, but I really, but look what I can get. Would you, how do you know you're really going to get it? So that could walk that part down and then you match that with the, with the goodness part of it. And hopefully that takes a person over the edge. All right, back inside. Let's jump back in. Here we go. And Moses, it's so interesting. And he says, verse 11, which is the opposite of the blessing. For there will never cease to be needy within the land. There's always going to be the needy. And I know what he said before. He said before, um, there will be no needy among you. And then he says, in verse, that's verse 4. And in verse 11 he says, there will never cease to be needy within the land. There's always going to be needy. So what's the point? I said before, one is a blessing. And one is, you know, practically speaking, there's always going to be some need. 
Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall surely open your hand to your brother, to your poor one, and to your needy one in your land. I referenced this yesterday in the context of the miser, the tithing. We said once, uh, sorry, the year number three and six, you give the second tithe to the, 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 the poor and the downtrodden. And I said, well, don't, don't think that it's only, you know, twice every seven years that that happens. That's literally an ongoing obligation. And here we have this ongoing obligation at any point in time, doesn't matter what day, what year, what month it is, you shall surely open your hand to your brother, to your poor one, and to the needy one in your land. Okay, now we get to the idea of avdos. This is uh, the idea of indentured servitude, which you know you could translate as slavery, but it's not slavery in, the, in what we understand in a poor, but it's the indentured servitude, essentially. And there are limits on that. There are limits. Understanding that a person should not be working for someone else on that level indefinitely. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years. Again, just like six years we work and the seventh is a release, right? Six years, six years we work the land and the seventh we don't. Six days a week we work and the seventh day is Shabbat. So the same thing is true for this indentured servant. And it's not six years subjectively, it's six years objectively. So if the person is only in that position in year number six, then it's only a year or a half a year. Anyway, so that shall be for six years. And in the seventh year, you shall um, send him forth free from you. And when you send him forth free from you, you shall not send him forth empty-handed. Again, this is talking about essentially like, like a person that lives with someone else's household to help them. Typically someone who was... Um, had a, a debt or a theft or something, not a debt, but a theft, they couldn't repay it. And so the court said, all right, you have to work it off and you have to, you have to work for it. So this is a way to earn the money and pay back the debt of, of the theft and, um, and do this. But it can only be for six years, not, seven, for, for the, not six years from when they start, but for the six years of the thing and the seventh year goes free. Let's continue. Um, and even when he goes free, it's not empty-handed. You shall surely provide him from your flock. By the way, this is the source in Jewish law, Jewish business law, for the idea of, um, is it called severance? Is that what it's called in, 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 uh, when, you, when you let someone go, you give them severance or a package? What do we call that? Severance? Yeah? So when you send, when you send this person home, you can't send them home empty-handed. You have to give them a package. What's the package back in the day? You have to give them some of your flock. I don't know if anybody wants like cattle in their package nowadays. You know, hell, I just finished working at AT&T and what did I get? Or Verizon, what did I get? I got some, some sheep. No, I mean, that's not a thing that would typically be in a, in a thing. But so back in the day, you get from the flock, from your threshing floor and from your vat and you shall give him from what the Lord your God has blessed you. In other words, you take care of the person. They work for you. You got to take it. Yeah, Ray, jump in. Okay, so I know we've talked about it previously, but um, suppose he he likes his master and he wants to stay on. Yes. And they do the ear, ear thing, right? Yes. Yeah, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there in a few verses. It, it repeats oh, okay. it. Yeah, re this is uh, this was we studied this in Mishpatim in the Book of Exodus yeah. a while ago. But this is one of the areas in which Moses repeats it, repeats the law, shortly before his passing. 
Um, and obviously, every time it's repeated, there's a, there's some extra details that are that are added uh, that, uh, that we could learn for halakhically, legally. Okay. And you shall remember, look at this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I am commanding you this thing today. So treat your indentured servant compassionately and honestly and ethically and morally and justly. And then they go free. No one should work forever. And when, you, when they go free, they should take out. And, and you know what happened when the Jews left Egypt? What happened when they left? What did they leave with? Help me out, guys. They left with? I'm saying possession-wise, what did they leave with? They left with right, jewelry and, and, and gold and silver, and they left with cattle and animals. They left with stuff. And so it's a similar pattern here, a similar concept. When someone works for you and they leave, right? And this is true, again, this has been expanded in general in Jewish business law. Give them, let them leave on a good note with, with some of the, you know, with, with, with gold and silver and riches. Give them a nice... Uh, to-go package. Let's continue verse 16. And it will be, by the way, by the way, in Jewish law, let me just share this. It typically is, is Chodesh Lashana, which means a month, the severance package typically, the way the rabbis formulated it to kind of give a, give a number on it, is a month per year. Is that the way it's done typically in business? Or no? No? Anyway, the default, again, any arrangement could be made and agreed upon, but you know, the, a, a standard baseline is if somebody worked for you for five years and they leave, then the right thing is to give them at least five months of, uh, of severance. Everything has to be negotiated in the United States. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in Judaism also, negotiations are always good. That way everyone's, everyone agrees on it. But without, without an agreement, the default is, like, if they didn't have a previous agreement in a contract, then the, um, the standard... The standard would be one month per year of work. And you know what? That's that's typical, even in today's HR world. Interesting. But it is negotiated all the time. I do have a quick question. Sure. So you talked about Natan. Yes. When we were talking about you surely, but in that last verse that said you surely, I did not see Natan, and I didn't. Let me take a look at that. Let me take a look at that. And maybe it is there. Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, well, it's Ha'anik Ta'anik. Hanetanik means, it's not give, it's, here's provide. Um, Hanaka, it's... I don't know the, I don't know the literal, huh? Sustain. Nasan saying, Natan is saying sustain for this one. And Natan, though, Natan is more give. Like gift. Yeah, like a gift, yeah. That's for the person needing tzedakah, so you give. This is hanek means sustain, provide. It's more of like for this um, severance or whatever. It, it, it's more like it's more. Um, it's more maybe for for survival for yeah. For right, exactly. That's more of like the implication, right? Okay. Now, yeah, sure. Now, getting back to what Ray said before, right? What happens, and it will be if he says to you, I will be, I will not leave you. In other words, because Judaism's version of indentured servitude is so moral and ethical and kind and just, so now the person might say, I actually like it here. I like working for you and your family. I like living with you guys. Um, we've discussed this, I, I don't know how many, countless times, that in Jewish law, if you have only one pillow, you have to give it to your indentured servant. 
They have to eat what you eat. You can't, there's no second class business here. Everything is the same. So if that's the case, the person might say, I like this gig. I'm having, I, I enjoy being with you guys. I don't want to leave you. So if that happens because he loves you in your household, for it is good for him to be with you, right? I mean, this is like obviously a different reality than what typically this is construed, misconstrued as. Then you should take an awl and put it through his ear, pierce the ear. I mean, that sounds very dramatic, but I guess if we were to describe ear piercing, it would also sound pretty dramatic, right? Not that I've ever had one done, but I can imagine, or seen or witnessed one done. Leah took care of um, having Riva get her ears pierced at a young age, but um, I would imagine, I mean, help me out here, People like um, if what do you you put a thing through the air? I mean, is that that's right? That's what happens, right? You put how does what do you do? You just there's a special now they have these special guns. Okay. So like they mark your ear and they put the earring in this special gun and when they pull the trigger, the earring the oh. hat, earring has like a sharp tip and the earring just goes. Are through. you saying the all of the the metal? The pointy, sharp metal all of the earring is pierced through the ear? Yes. All right, so it sounds like what verse 17 is saying. Perfect. You should take an all and put it through his ear. All right, at least it's not that, uh, that different. And into the door, <laughs> into the door, okay. All right, maybe that's a little different. This is like getting your tooth pulled by slamming the door type thing. Anyway, no, it's done. It's done by the door. I don't believe it's done. You don't, I don't think you're slamming the door. You put a nail in the door and then slam. That's not what's going on here. No, 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 Sarah. That's not what's going on. Um, and he shall be a servant to you forever. And also to your maidservant, you shall do likewise. So again, it's this idea of, of, of piercing. Now, why, why the ear pierced? It's not done in it. I, I hope it goes without saying. It's not done in a brutal, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a harmful, in a hurtful in a painful way, obviously not. You're never allowed to pain. You're never allowed to give someone pain. So it's not even a thing. It's not even. It's not even a thing that the Torah even feels the need to tell you. By the way, there shouldn't be. It's, it shouldn't be a painful thing. It, so why the ear piercing? And so we have commentaries that explain because the ear that heard God say, "You should only be my servants," to choose indentured servitude to another human being is not correct. So the ear that heard God say, you're my servants, should have been listening better to that message and should not commit themselves so, you know, um, so wholeheartedly to other human beings. By the way, if we were to reframe or rephrase indentured servitude, we could call this, you know, workaholism, perhaps, right? It's like a person says, I like this job, I'm going to work 24-7. No breaks. No breaks? You can go now. No, I like this work. I'm going to do it now 24-7. should never like the work that much, right? God's like, you like that work so much? What about my work? What about your mission? Hence the piercing of the ear. You should listen to my mission and not be so you know, caught up in, in, in human missions, in human, in human work. Let's continue inside. You shall not be troubled. When you send him free from you for twice as much as a hired servant, he has served you six years, and the Lord your God will bless you in all that you shall do. A person might say, oh, I'm apprehensive to lose my indentured servant, such a blessing to my life and my family. On the, on the end of the, of the one who has the indentured servant, don't worry, Hashem will bless you, you'll be okay. 
Again, the same reassurance. You can let the loan go. You can let the land go. You can let the natural servant go. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You believe in God or not? Hashem will take care of you. First, okay, now we're up to reading number seven. Um, let's see how long it is. Okay, okay. It's got, it's got some, uh, we got some verses here. Let's go. We're going to go, we're going to go through this a little bit quickly, just uh, in light of the time and the fact that it's Arab Shabbat. So let's go, let's, we'll, we'll pick up the speed. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 19. Every firstborn male that is born of your cattle or of your flock, you shall, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall neither work with the firstborn of your ox, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. So don't work the firstborn male animal. Don't cut their, don't shear their, their hair, I guess, the wool. Okay. Um, the fleece. Shear fleece. All right, you shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year. In the place the Lord chooses you and your household. So what do you do with the firstborn cattle? You, you eat it in Jerusalem, like the, um, like the mice, like the tithe. And if there be any blemish in it, whether it be lame or blind or any ill blemish, right? Oh, so you bring it as a sacrifice, and then you eat it before the Lord your God. So, right, so if it has a blemish? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going back to what I said before. When it says you shall eat it before the Lord, this is considering that it is a... Is it, sac is it sacrificed on the altar and then eaten, or is it just eaten? Slaughtered and then eaten. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Look at this. I'm t uh, I got I to re retract this a bit. Scripture is addressing the Kohen. We have already found the statement to the effect that, it, that the firstborn is part of the dues given to the Kohanim. Here we go. This is not the owner of the animals that's going to... No. This is not like the tithe that's eaten by the owner. This is a gift to the Kohen. So the Kohen is given the gift by the farmer or the cattle raiser of the firstborn animals. And the firstborn animals are given to the Kohen. This is called... Um, Bikurim, I believe. This is one of the form of Bikurim. The first, um, first fruits, but also the firstborn of the animals. And thus, it is to be eaten. It's a gift to be eaten by the Kohen. However, so when it says, you shall eat it before the Lord your God, you and your household, that's referring to the Kohen, not the owner of the animal. But if there's any blemish in it, then you cannot sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Rather, you shall eat it within your cities, the unclean and the clean together, as the deer and as the gazelle. However, you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it in the ground as water. Huh? Yeah. So, if, it's, if it is blemished, then you do not offer it as a sacrifice. Okay? And you don't give it as a gift to the Kohen either. Rather, it's eaten as, a, as an animal. As just a, a standard animal. Um, give me a second here. What's the blemish? The blemish here is lame, blind, or any, or any ill blemish that's defined in, in the mission of the Talmud. The, the Talmud goes through the details of what a blemish is oh. uh, with regard to an animal. Um, I just want to see something here. Okay, no, you know what? It's fine. Okay, let's, uh, let's get Rashi toggled off. Let's jump back in. Okay, so that's a little bit about the firstborn animals and the gift to the Kohen. Um, I, for some reason, I believe, and this is what I'm trying to look up, I believe that if your firstborn animal 
is blemished and you can't offer it as a sacrifice, give it to the Kohen, etc., then I, I, I th- I'm under the impression that you exchange it with another animal and offer that animal, but I could be, I could be wrong. That's what I thought. Again, the, the challenge here is that this is Deuteronomy and Moses is repeating many mitzvot and some of them, because it's already discussed elsewhere, so he doesn't elaborate necessarily with all the details. And so it, we're left to memory, at least to my memory, in trying to remember what exactly the details were with this. And it's a, it's a very clear-cut situation, clear-cut law. It's just I'm not, my head is not remembering it right now as far as the details. If it is blemished, do you then switch it out and then donate something else? Or you say it's blemished, so you can't donate it, and so we're good to go. I, I, I believe that it is exchanged, but I can't say for sure. We can look this up at some point. Yeah, you went over that, the exchange thing. Remember this? I, I know, I know. There is an exchange, but the question is, is it about, is it about this, uh, the firstborn animals? I believe it might be. I believe it is about this. That's, I'm, 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 my, my recollection is that it is this, but I can't say for sure. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Here we go. It says, oh, now, hold on. Let me just tell you what we're doing now. We're going to go through the Jewish calendar and the holidays. Keep the month of spring, Chodesh Ha'aviv, that means the month of Nisan, and make the Passover offering to the Lord your God in the month of spring. I'm sorry, for in the month of spring, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt at night. This is why the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar-based calendar, is also reconciled with the solar calendar, and thus we have leap years every two or three years and add an extra month of Adar as we do this year. Why? Because it, because the lunar year, 29 and a half day months times 12 is 354 days. And the solar year is 365 and a quarter. That means a discrepancy of 11 days, which means that every lunar year is 11 days shorter than a solar year, which means that every three years, it's 33 days, and every six years, it's 66 days, which means the Passover, if the, f- the 15th of Nisan, year one, is the first day of April, by year six or year seven, it's two months earlier. So instead of being April, it's now March, it's now February, it's then January, and before you know it, Passover is coming up in the winter, or in the fall, or in the summer, and it's not the right time. So that's why, because Passover must be in the spring, based on this verse and others, that's why we reconcile the lunar calendar with the solar, and we have leap years. You shall, which means add a month, not a day, add a month, every, every, every few years. You shall slaughter the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God of the flock, of the flock and the festival sacrifice of the cattle in the place which the Lord will choose to establish his name therein. In other words, there is a Pesach, a Paschal lamb that is brought in Jerusalem for the holiday. You shall not eat leaven with it, no, no chametz. For seven days you shall eat with it matzah, the bread of affliction, for in haste you went out of the land of Egypt so that you remember the day when you went out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. So Passover helps us remember the Exodus and live with it Every single day. And no leaven shall be seen with you for, within all your border for seven days. This is a prohibition against not only eating chametz, but seeing chametz. Or even finding chametz in your property. So if you want to keep chametz, you have to put it in a closet, tape it up, and sell it to someone who isn't Jewish. You cannot own it. You cannot possess it. You, legally, you cannot see it. You cannot eat it. It's completely forbidden. Neither shall any of the flesh you slaughter on the preceding day in the afternoon remain all night until the morning. The paschal lamb has to be eaten that night and not left until the morning. 
Let's continue. You shall not sacrifice the Passover offering within any of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, the Paschal Lamb cannot be offered in your private cities on pri private altars, except at the place which the Lord your God will choose to establish His name. Only in Jerusalem, there you shall slaughter the Passover offering in the afternoon, as the sun sets, at the appointed time that you went out of Egypt. So it's only specifically at a certain time, um, in a certain place, that the Passover lamb is slaughtered. And you shall roast it. And you shall roast it and eat it in the place which the Lord your God will choose. So it has to be cooked and prepared and eaten specifically in a specific place. You shall turn away in the morning and go to your dwelling. So basically, the night of Pesach, so you bring the Paschal lamb the afternoon, evening of the 14th of Nisan. Then that night you cook it and you eat it and you enjoy it until the morning and then you go home or then you go back to your cities, etc. For six days you shall eat matzah and on the seventh day there shall be a halt. The Lord your God, you shall not do any work on it. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. So now Passover is over or now Passover discussion is over. Now let's talk, talk about Shavuot and the counting of the Omer. So you shall count seven weeks for yourself. From the time the sickle is first put to the standing crop, you shall begin to count seven weeks. And you shall perform at the festival of weeks to the Lord your God. At the end of seven weeks is the festival of weeks, which we know as Chag Shavuot. That's literally what it's called, Chag Shavuot. Shavuot is the festival of weeks. Why? Because it's after seven weeks of counting that is called Svirta Omer. So we have Passover, the counting of the Omer, and now the festival of weeks, Shavuot. You shall perform the festival of weeks to the Lord your God, the donation you can afford to give according to how the Lord your God shall bless you. And you shall rejoice, the Samachta, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite who is within your cities and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are among you in the place which the Lord your God will choose to establish his name therein. This is a powerful verse. I love this verse because what it's telling us is that a celebration, a holiday celebration or really any celebration is no celebration if it's only celebrated by us individually. A celebration is a celebration when we include others, when we're inclusive. When we open it up to guests, to family and friends, and strangers, you know, new friends. That's when a celebration is a celebration. That's when a yamtiv is a yamtiv. So Rambam says, Mamani says, that based on this verse and others, that if we celebrate the holiday just ourselves, it's not in the spirit of the holiday. The spirit of the holiday is to rejoice with the community, to rejoice with others. Let's continue. And you shall remember that you were a slave in, the, in Egypt, and you shall keep and perform these statutes. Once again, a reference to, to Egypt. Now, why is that relevant to our conversation here, that we should remember that we were a slave in Egypt? What does that mean? What does that do for us here? Rashi says, On this condition, I did, redeem you, I, did I redeem you from Egypt, that you keep and perform these statutes? In other words, these are mitzvot that you're supposed to do. The holiday observances and inviting people over for the holiday and that sort of thing, sharing it with others. And, and, and you have to do it because that's literally why I took you out of Egypt, to, to keep these mitzvah. You shall make for yourself next holiday. So we had Passover, counting the Omer, Shavuot. What's the next holiday? Well, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, but we skip that because that's not pilgrimage holidays. So we talk about Sukkot. You shall make yourself the festival of Sukkot for seven days. When you gather in the produce from your threshing floor in your vat, so and your vat. So we had the this, the festival of Pesach is when you put the sickle to the crop, right? The beginning of the Omer, which is the time of, of Passover, is when the sickle is first put to the standing crop. 
Then you have the counting of the Omer, and then you, you do the harvest, which was not mentioned. Oh, yeah, um, didn't mention the harvest here by the festival of weeks. Not the harvest, but when you, okay, whatever, you finish cutting it, you leave it in the field to dry. And when do you gather in the produce? That happens on Sukkot, right before it starts raining. Let me explain. If you were a farmer, so the wheat would grow, it would get ripe, you would cut it, you would leave it out in the field to get nice and dry because you wanted to grind it into flour. It has to be dry. Nowadays we have technology for this, but they would leave it out, out, out in, the, in the summer heat. And then in the fall, before it got rainy, they would pull it back in and, and make it into wheat and make it into flour. So that's what happens on Sukkot. Sukkot is when you gather in the produce from your threshing floor and your vat. And you shall rejoice in the festival of Samachta Bechagecha. You shall rejoice, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are within your cities. Again, Judaism, Torah, the Bible opens up the celebration not for us individually, but for us collectively. It's not a simcha if we don't share it with others. It's not a, it's not a celebration if it's held, if it's held, you know, to ourselves, if it's kept to ourselves. Seven days you shall celebrate the festival of Sukkot to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands. And you will only be happy. Three times a year, to summarize, three times in the year, every one of your males. So this was an obligation specifically on the, on the heads of household, on the men. Why? Because obviously the, the women, the mothers, couldn't necessarily be expected and obligated to pick up and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but the guys could. And now you're thinking, and leave their wives and babies behind? Okay, so, yeah, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reporting what it says. Um, but the men were obligated to go to Jerusalem for the holidays. So three times a year there was an obligation uh, that the, every one of your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place he will choose, Jerusalem, on the festival. So what are the three times? The festival of Matzot. Right? Shalosh Regalim, right? Shalosh Regalim. Here's the Shalosh Pa'amim times, but yeah, same thing. These are the Shalosh Regalim, the three, the three um, regal, the three feet festivals, right? The three festivals where we walk or make our way to Jerusalem. What are the three? The festival of Matzot, Passover, the festival of weeks, Shavuot, and the festival of Sukkot, Sukkot. And he shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed, which means when you come to the holiday... You should come with something. I don't know, a gift, a donation, a, a sacrifice. Every man shall bring as much as he can afford according to the blessing the Lord, of the Lord your God which he has given you. And that takes us to the end of the Torah portion right on time-ish, 102. All right, so in summary, what do we read about today? A lot of things. We had two very big readings. So we talked about the idea of Shemitah, the sabbatical year which is a release of loans. We spoke about the anxiety that that might produce. Oh no, I can't get my money back. What's going to happen? We spoke about faith that reminds us that Hashem's got our back. We spoke about the obligation to give tzedakah as a gift or at the very least a loan. We spoke about the idea of, of Hanukkah, which is the idea of the severance, giving the severance, we spoke about, in the seventh reading, the notion of the firstborn cattle donation to the Kohen, to the temple. 
And then we spoke about the holidays. So what's the moral of the story? I'm going to go back to what we said at the beginning. The moral of the story is we, be- we should believe in God, right? Hopefully, please God, we should believe in God. And that faith should translate into trust. Even on the money, what does it say? Even on the cash, what does it say? What's the slogan? In God we trust. You see, you don't even need, I mean, take this with a grain of salt. Torah, right, you need Torah. But even if somebody didn't yet study this parsha for whatever reason, even if they just meditated on the message and the money, they'd be more willing and open to actually giving it away. Why? Because even the money says, in God we trust. And what does it mean to trust in God? It means to trust that if I do the right thing and I help someone in need, Hashem will get back whatever I need. I, what happens? I lost the money. I don't have, not lost. I, I don't have the money. I gave it away. They're not going to get it back to me. In God we trust. It's right there on the money. Meditations of money. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to see you all. Yeah, Donna, jump in. Is there any uh, additional app- uh, thoughts on Shemitah from, from today's perspective since we're not an agricultural economy? Correct. So we don't have the... Well, um, hold on one second. In Israel, there's the, the myths of Shemitah still applies for the land. For the land. Which is why it's important to... Um, to buy from anything that's kosher, certified kosher, is going to be from kosher kosher produce. But that becomes a thing buying stuff from Israel. A consideration. Not a consideration, but something to look out for. Um, so there is a modern application, but I think you're asking, okay, what are the broader spiritual implications for us? How can we do us a battle for I think, look, I think a few things. Number one, it's, it's, it's really the internal thing that then manifests on a physical level, right? So that's really at the core of it. The core of it is strengthening our faith and trust, more than faith, theoretical faith, but tr- actual trust, like the wheelbarrow on the, on the, on the, high, on the, on the tightrope, trust. Like I'm, 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 I trust so much that I'm putting myself out there and, and with, no, with, no, um, with no net, right? So again, not advocating to live our lives recklessly, but again, doing the right thing and not always needing to understand how it's going to work out. So, so that's, I think that's a, that's a perennial or that's a timeless message. The timeless message is, you know, we, let's do, let's do what, what we need to do. Let's do the mitzvah. Let's, let's help out the other. And, um, and Hashem is going to hook us up. So that's one modern application. If you're asking a specific thing like, is it encouraged that we take off from work, you know, once every seven years? I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. I will tell you, we do have a modern application of sabbatical. And uh, that's what we call Shabbat, right? Which we're rapidly approaching, right? So that's, that's one modern application of a sabbatical, which comes with the same calculation. If I don't work on Saturday, right? Ain't gonna work on Saturday. Ain't gonna work on Saturday. Double, double, triple pay won't make me work on Saturday. Ain't gonna work on Saturday. Why? Because it's Shabbos, Kodesh. That's Bigadaya Gumber. And even he didn't work. Even they offered double, double, triple pay won't make me work on Saturday. Why? Because it's Shabbos, Kodesh. But, but what about the money? Okay, trust. We trust in God. We trust in God. And that's it. So, and and as as Karen said, and I want to bring that back, and you know what? 
Oh, sorry, I didn't see it. All right, I'll just do it very quickly. And so what? So even if I don't see it right away, I still have trust it's the right thing. It's the right thing to do. All right, yes. All right, I want to wish everybody a Shabbos. Ray, jump in. But whoever needs to go can go. Yeah. Say whatever you spend on Shabbos and Yom comes back to you in some way. I love that. All right, good. Let's end with that. Whatever we spend comes back to us on a good thing. Also on education. Whatever we spend on education, Torah education, and on Shabbos and holidays doesn't come out of God's calculation for the year. So whatever we're allocated, nothing gets diminished on that. So buy the sushi. Buy the sushi for Shabbos. Go, splurge. Do it. All right. All right, friends. Not just the gefilte. I want gefilte fish sushi. I want to see if they can somehow stuff gefilte fish inside a sushi roll. That would be impressive. All right. Maybe they have it in Muncie. My friends, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll see you all soon. Catch on the flip side. Film on Sunday. Safros event. Scribal workshop on Monday. Party all week. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care. Good job.